This episode of Reality Escape Pod is brought to you by Morty, Escape Tales, Buzzshot, and Patreon supporters like you. Buzzshot is customer satisfaction software for your escape room business. They offer an assortment of pre and post game features, including robust waiver management, branded team photos, and streamlined review management for Yelp, TripAdvisor, Google Reviews, Morty, and more. Buzzshot can help streamline your escape room business. This is what Abby from Quest Club Escape Adventures has to say. The most influential reason to partner with Buzzshot is its efficiency. It's a point-and-shoot waiver, contact aggregator, and camera solution that would take several apps otherwise. Streamline your marketing and grow your business at buzzshot.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D. When booking your free trial to get 20% off your first three months. Details in the show notes. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Each episode this season, we will be interviewing escape room creators from different countries. Today's guest is from Nashville, Tennessee in the United States. We're joined by Mark Flint, the CEO of The Escape Game. The Escape Game is one of the largest escape room chains in the United States, and in my experience, the most consistently high-quality large-scale operation that I've seen in the immersive gaming industry. Welcome, Mark. Hi, David and Peachy. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on the show. We're so happy to have you. I'm thrilled to have you on as our United States representative. This season, we could only pick one person from the United States, and I really think that the Escape Game is probably one of the best companies to represent the United States just because of how well run the operation is and the scale that it is. I do feel like it is pretty easy and accessible to get to one of your games here. Yeah, that accessibility is something that is important to us. Our mission at the Escape Game is to design and deliver epic interactive experiences for every single guest. A big part of what we do at the Escape Game is wanting to make our genre accessible to as many people as we can. It took Lisa and I a couple of years to get to one of your locations, but back in the very early days of escape rooms, it became a joke for us that whenever a journalist called with questions about the industry, they had just come from a family vacation to Nashville and had played your stuff. So there was this sort of mystique for us and this lingering question of like, what are they doing there? And what are they putting in their water that is making everybody come back loving this stuff? Yeah, I look very fondly on those early days when we were running our games uh, ourselves, the founders, Jonathan Merle and James Merle and I. Our operation took off like a rocket ship. We didn't expect it to be that way, but we opened. Our first guest was in April of 2014. And I think our revenues in June were like 200,000. Wow. And so it was just a bit of a blur. We went to the top of TripAdvisor. That was the thing at the time. TripAdvisor didn't relegate their algorithm to knock escape games down to the bottom. That's an interesting thing to call out because I, PG, I don't think you even know about this because this was really early days. Before my time. <laughs> A lot of early escape room growth was that escape rooms were topping 
every TripAdvisor things to do list. And didn't matter what city you were in, escape rooms were at the top of that list. And then TripAdvisor decided to punish our entire industry by basically banishing escape rooms from that list. Do you know the story behind that of why? Or is it just colloquially like you just notice you feel like that's a thing or is that really a thing? No, it really happened. I got a little perspective on that as well. My introduction to an escape game was on a family vacation to London. And it was TripAdvisor that introduced me to escape games. And so I was in charge of our itinerary and I was looking for Tower of London, the museums, Windsor Castle. And at the top of the list was an escape game. And I read the reviews and I said, oh, we got to try this. So it was literally every major city in the world in 2013 had an escape game at the top of their list. And I think that didn't sit well. I think they should still be at the top of the list. But do they really want it above the Eiffel Tower in Paris? Probably not. Oh, it was topping things like Eiffel Tower and Tower of London. It was literally (laughs) topping the list everywhere you went. It's how I found escape rooms. It was the top thing to do in Hungary. So a lot of the early days was driven by TripAdvisor. Do you think it has to do with escape companies not being big advertisers on there or something? Or not being able to do bookings through TripAdvisor? Like, I'm so curious what's driving this. It's been a number of years since they made the change. That could have been it. Could have been inconsistent with their business model. And it was so prevalent. I mean, the, the whole top 10 could have been different escape game companies. That's really how it could have been. Uh, and so that you don't have any of the traditional experiences that one would expect to find when they're, when they're searching trip about. Right. That's a good thing you got in while it was still hot, I guess. It was good timing for sure. One of the things that I think is really interesting about the escape game company is that, you know, you guys have the same games at your different locations. So it does create kind of a shared experience where I could talk to one of my fellow enthusiasts that live on the East Coast. And if they've played an escape game, we can talk about the same game because we've played the same game, even though it's at different locations. And I know that you weren't always a national chain. When did that start for you? And when did you decide to make it so that you would have the same games at the different locations instead of having different games at different locations? That's such a great question. So You'll notice that our very first game was the Nashville escape game, and it was themed specific to Nashville. We kept it around. It still exists in our original Berry Hill location. We'll probably keep it there uh, forever. But our intent originally was to design a game specific to each city we would go to. Johnny Merle and I, who did all the game design at the very beginning, we actually designed an Orlando and an Austin uh, escape game. They never got into production. But after opening two or three locations, we realized the level of games that we wanted to make in terms of scaling the operation wouldn't lend themselves to doing a new one in every single location. We also found it was very difficult to launch a game in a location outside of our hometown. And so in Nashville, we've got three locations now. One of the reasons we have three locations and we're looking at a fourth is We run out of space to put our new games and we want to launch them here in Nashville so we can test them. And so for those reasons, we started using more of a portfolio game. It also allows us to put a larger investment. And so now we just created a new game called Timeliner. It's a time traveling train game. It's located in our downtown location and it's also in our Rancho Cucamonga location that we just opened a few weeks ago. And it's going to be in our next 15 locations. And so 
we're able to spend a lot more on developmental type tasks and activities for the room that we can use over and over again. It's one way to fund uh, our desire to always be on the cutting edge and do new things in our games. You feel like it's more worth it for you to sink a lot of money into the R&D and design, knowing that it's going to equal 15 rooms and not just all this time and money spent creating one room. Yes. Is it 15 locations that you guys have? We currently have 26. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We've got three or four more opening this year, depending on timing. And we've signed nine of 10 leases for next year. So we're opening 10 additional locations next year. We're growing. And um, we've got a couple exciting games in the pipeline that we're looking forward to introducing the new locations that open up. You had mentioned that it was really difficult for you to start opening locations in different states. And so I was wondering if you could talk about what were some of the hardest issues of breaking into opening up in a new state. But with 26 locations, clearly you've overcome those. I was just wondering how you dealt with that. Yeah, several things. Uh, The first one is, and we don't always pull this off, but we really endeavor to make every single guest, those words that are in our mission statement, ring true through all of our decision-making. But we really want every single guest to have a great time and leave having had an amazing experience and looking forward to playing their next escape room. And one of the challenges to that, having staff in different locations and making sure the delivery of the game is as consistent as the game itself. James Burrell, my co-founder, our chief operating officer at the Escape Game, spends so much of his time training and putting systems in place so that the games can be delivered consistently. And so I think that was the first uh, step. I think another interesting thing is building our games. The codes are different in every location. Each inspector was different. And so over time, we had to build to the, I guess I would call it the toughest common denominator in terms of life safety, fire inspections, building codes, because we never knew what type of inspector we would get. And so we've had a collection over 20 locations, 26 now, of all the most difficult things that an inspector might have us do. And that was quite a bit of a challenge to to go to multiple locations. That makes a lot of sense. So, Mark, we've known each other for a while, and as long as I've known you, you've been a prolific escape room player and traveler. What has been the appeal for you of both the games and the travel to find them? Uh, That's a great question. I I really love playing escape games. I think the first two I played, I lost. Um, I'm pretty competitive. So for a while, it was the fun of playing a game and whether you were going to win or lose. And then we quickly started designing games. The escape game has designed, I think we're on our 32nd project. So we've got 14 in real life titles that we use at TEG, but then done a, a lot of stuff for third parties and other unique experiences that we've designed. But I have a real appreciation for the designers out there. You know, it used to be I wanted to finish as fast as I could and we'd have our squad and try to break records and we still have fun with that. But just enjoying the heart and soul that a designer puts into a game and seeing a clever task or challenge is really fulfilling for me because I know, or at least I have a sense of what went into it. That's the appeal for me at this time. And then I guess, secondly, I get to play games with people I care about. And so my family, I've played a lot of games. My wife and the daughter like games. I wouldn't say they love them. My son, who's now 21, he was 13 at the time when we played our first. We played hundreds of games together, and it's just a shared experience that we love. 
What kind of games are inspiring you these days? Like what's pulling you back and what gets you fired up? Uh, That's a good question. I think my experience is probably consistent with a lot of enthusiasts where we tend to love the unique. And so I think that if you look at the lists of the award-winning games, that's pretty consistent. It's something new, something you haven't seen before. So once you played a lot of games, you love to see something that's different. Have we tackled every idea out there? You guys have played thousands of games. I've played several hundred. And, um, you know, you get to the point where you think, oh, have I seen everything? And <laughs> knowing that, you know, even at the escape game, that's one of our initiatives for every new project is, can we come up with things that none of us have seen before? And I would say that seeing something unique Hearing from other enthusiasts what they feel like is a special experience. I like to go check those out as well. I mean, that's one of the things that inspired David and I to run this podcast the way we do. And also the way that they curated the talks they just had at Recon, the Reality Escape Convention. And a lot of our endeavors are to expose creators and designers to different methods, different ideas, borrowing from adjacent or different industries to inspire them to come up with something new, because that's what we all want to see. We all want to see some kind of new hybrid cross-pollination. That's definitely what gets us excited as well. Yes. And in line with your theming for this year's Repod, the different countries, we noticed early on that, that the games in different countries are very different. So when we decided to start the escape game, within two weeks, we were on a plane to Hungary <laughs> and played a bunch of games in Budapest and loved the style there. And then a few months later, we visited Singapore uh, because there was a lot of games at a lot of companies from Asia that had an outpost in Singapore at the time. And It was like a whole new world going to Singapore and seeing the technology and a little bit more mass heavy tasks and contrasting that with the beautiful creativity in Hungary of they can turn any everyday item into a puzzle or task with cleverness. So just contrasting those two early on, I think that's one of the other appeals, David, to your question of playing. I love playing in different countries because the variation in the games, sometimes it's subtle, but you can really see it. Really see the culture come out. I talk about this all the time, and you were one of the first people that I had met who I had a real life conversation with about this because there aren't that many of us who have played enough in different countries to really see that there is this like localization thing that happens with the idea. It's remarkable to see it unfold, and I hope that it persists far into the future. Mark, you brought up a couple of things that we want to talk a little bit more about. One of them is the escape game's relationship with the escape room enthusiast, the player community. And I would say that the escape game has long enjoyed an affectionate relationship with the escape room player community. This is something that doesn't often extend to chains and franchises. What have you and your team done to strengthen and maintain that relationship? It's a really good question. I think the most important thing that we've done is we haven't forgotten that we're players at heart as well. And we love escape games. And as our experience has evolved, especially the design team at the escape game, we have a very acute understanding of what enthusiasts are looking for. It is one of the challenges that we have at the escape game because our mission is very specific. We are about every single guest. And so we're thinking 
about grandmothers and kids and workers and families and date nights and all of it. And in business school, they teach you to use a rifle, not a shotgun when you're shooting at a target. And we threw that out the window and said, no, we really want to be accessible and mainstream. And so it presents some challenges. It would be easier if our mission was, hey, let's create the best game in the world that enthusiasts would love. We look very different than what we do. But enthusiasts are our guests as well. And they're a very important guest for the escape game. And so we try to, even our business model, we'll have different aspects of it that are more mainstream. And we love to hear from enthusiasts. We request that they reach out to us so we can customize the experiences for them. And I think just being aware that they're the core group of players. They're the ones who are recruiting other players and just being in touch with an understanding of what are they looking for in an experience. I was really impressed the first time I walked into the escape game. We played down at the Irvine Spectrum Center in Southern California, and I think we played every single game you had at the location in one day. But the quality was consistently good. I knew it was a chain. It didn't feel like something some corporate dude thought up to make money and something really bland and it wasn't the same tricks over and over again. So I really understand where that came from. And also the customer service was really good. I thought everyone in the staff was warm and welcoming and friendly. And so I think that goes a long way as well. On the subject of premium escape rooms, Runes Forbidden Treasure, which we haven't played yet, is, as I understand it, your most premium product. What's the backstory on this game that is exclusive to one of your Nashville locations? The theme of Ruins Forbidden Treasure is one that we had been thinking about from the very beginning. And we wanted to do that theme justice. And at the time in the Escape Games business life cycle, we were able to allocate a really good budget towards that game. And so we took on just about everything that we could take on. I think we talked about this earlier, but the escape game has a few constraints that maybe other companies don't have in that it's difficult for us in terms of the locations that we're going to and the rents that we pay for us to build a thousand square foot game or a 2000 square foot game or a 5,000 square foot game. We have those ideas. Our game team is just can't wait to get that opportunity to do that. We've talked about doing it a couple of different times, but... Our model is such that for a game to travel, it's got to fit in a certain size and be a certain budget and be able to pay for itself. The Ruins game, we went all out in our design and we spent a lot of time in the design process, did a lot of testing. We built the game twice before we installed it, which was the only time in history that we've done that at the Escape game. Probably the last time we'll do that. (laughs) So... It's a great game. It's one that we really love to share with our guests. Without giving spoilers away, there's a lot of technology in that game that we hadn't seen in other places. And uh, the intention was for that game to be everywhere. We realized in the design process and building it the first time, wow, this thing is expensive. It's been hard to duplicate it. We do have plans to get that game to travel, but for the time being, it's in Nashville only. Interesting. Curious about those plans. Gotta go to Nashville. (laughs) We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. 
Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing escape rooms and other immersive social outings. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. In October, Morty just launched an owner's dashboard. This will let you see reviews across all of your locations and games. You can publicly respond to reviews on your game pages. You can assign access permission to your employees, and you can also begin private conversations with customers. And there are many more features to come in the future. This is a big step for Morty in empowering owners to more easily interact with all of the data that comes at them through the app and allowing them to more easily respond to things. And I will take this moment to remind everybody, the art of responding to negative reviews is an art and it is something that you should practice, but start from a place of kindness is my advice. If you are interested in trying out the owner dashboard, owners should contact Morty via their contact page using the partnership subject line if they're interested in demoing the dashboard or getting started with it. You can learn more at mortyapp.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details in the show notes. So I have to imagine that the playground is one of your most successful games by any metric. We gave it a golden lock award. I have a feeling that because so much of it seems like a fairly simple construction, it's probably a really cost-effective game to roll out. I remember chatting with you about how beloved this game was and getting the impression that you were a bit surprised, not that it was well-received, but just how well-received it was. Was that an accurate read? I would say so. We always ask, what's your favorite game to our testers? And what we want to hear is a different answer from everyone because it tells us we're being consistent. But Playground gets more of its fair share from enthusiasts. I have a couple theories as to why that is. The theme itself is not the first one on just if someone's walking through one of the malls that we're in and they see the game lineup, they don't automatically pick Playground. From a marketing perspective, it probably isn't the first choice. I mean, everybody actually wants to play a Prison Break game, which is maybe <laughs> last on the list for the enthusiasts. Yep. I would say that's probably accurate. But there's so much content in Playground. It was built for 12 guests at the very beginning. And from the beginning, we had to do a very nonlinear construct on the game flow and make sure that there was plenty of content. And so packing all that content in, and then enthusiasts rarely play with 12 people, if ever. You know, you're talking twos and threes and fours usually. So it's a lot of content. And I think the type of content, the uniqueness, we talked about uniqueness earlier, being an appeal to a lot of us enthusiasts. I think the theme being relatively unique are some of the reasons why enthusiasts really love Playground, one of their favorite the Escape game games. I think that makes a lot of sense. From a business and operations standpoint, the Escape game is clearly the creation of a team that isn't new to business. What were you doing before Escape Rooms? I was running a company that did 
appraisal in healthcare. And it's not what people expect to hear when they ask my origins for escape games is. I am used to telling stories with numbers. I think that's what appraisal is, a business appraisal. You do a lot of analytics, but it comes down to expressing your opinion in a story form. And so using information from a business standpoint, that's what I did out, out of school. My, my business partners, Jonathan and James Merle, who founded the Escape Game along with Melinda, my wife and I, they were selling candy, bulk candy, and they had a company called Candy Galaxy. And they were just winding that down as I approached Johnny with the idea of starting the escape game. And so varied backgrounds for sure. They were a lot younger than I, but we've made a good team. We've all got our strengths and weaknesses as well. But some business background in understanding what is it going to take to build for the long term. And that was really one of the big things that we did early on compared to some of the other players at the time in 2014. We were building for the long term all along. That's clear. What are some things that you can't do? What are things that scale breaks? I think size of the room and the delivery of the games are two that come to mind. So like we talked about before, if you're renting space at the American Dream in New Jersey, one of our recent store openings, it's going to be tough to make money if your games are all 1,000, 1,500 square feet. And so that's a limiting factor, but also the delivery. We believe at the Escape Game that the delivery of the game is at least as important as the design. And we'll point to, in our reviews, we've done a quantitative analysis, and about 43% of our guests mention something about our staff or our team. The number for mentioning a specific attribute about the game or the game was great is more like 41%. If you design a game that can't be delivered by the breadth of team members that you're going to have across your scale, then it won't work. When you say delivery, you're not talking about the execution of the game. You're talking about the customer service aspect? Yes. And at the Escape Game, when we talk about delivery, we're including the website experience, the onboarding experience, the intro, the greeting as the guest walks through the door, the briefing that the guest gets, the very nuanced and specific and attentive game guiding. It's the heart of the experience. And so you, you guys know, as well as I, you could play the same game and if it's guided perfectly or if it's not guided well at all, it can really ruin or elevate the experience. As I'm talking about the importance of scale, it's that easy. It's, is the game designed enough to offer the flexibility in game guiding that allows for the breadth of guests that we're trying to serve at the escape game? So how do you go about maintaining that remarkable level of cross-location, cross-game consistency from both a maintenance and a staffing perspective? Because you can only do so much from the mothership in Nashville. After that, you have these locations that have to be self-governing. So how do you make that happen? We're authentically a mission and values-driven organization. And so every company's got their mission statement and their four or five or six values. We grind it over every single word for a long time in putting ours together. And so it's having the same foundation and approach towards guest service. And so our team is obsessed with that phrase in our mission statement, every single guest. 
And honestly, we try to control everything we can with processes and training. And James Merle is really good and his team really good about training and then selecting the right team to deliver the experiences. But I think also it's having that mission and the values ingrained in our team so that when no one's there, even if the GM's not there, the assistant manager's not there, they have something to rely on for decision-making. And it's a very guest-favorable approach. You have an interesting split between front-of-house staff and back-of-house staff. How does that work? We run our operations. We'll have a general manager who basically runs the operation, an assistant manager, and then an assistant manager in training. And then we'll also have a guest experience specialist who runs the front, who is a greeter. And then we'll have game guides, and that'll be one for each game. Of course, I know some companies will share that among games. We obviously don't feel that that's in the best interest of the guest. And then we'll have a supervisor, a team leader position that kind of oversees the game guides and helps them if they get into a spot. And so that's generally our staffing model. One thing that's interesting about this game game that really surprises everyone is 25 out of our 26 general managers started as game guides. And it's our entry-level position. And it wasn't, hey, we're going to hire you and you got to pay your dues as a game guide and then you're going to be the GM. It was, you're coming here to work as a GM. Here's the opportunity. If you have our values and you serve guests well, then you have opportunity to grow here. And uh, only one was hired actually to be a a GM. But James Merle's leadership training, we've got a formal leadership training program inside the escape game. We source our own leaders. And so the team that we have is just amazing. I can't speak highly enough about them. Most of our GMs have moved cities to, to progress in their careers. So that, at least when we have a new store opening, We're sending a team of people who already worked at the escape game for several years combined. And so that allows us to keep the consistency of the experience in each new location. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to have that focus on the guest experience as part of your company culture because of the type of locations that you guys operate in. We know that the locations of the escape games have opened in places that are city centers and very high traffic locations like shopping centers and malls. So how do you go about choosing cities and the particular locations within them? We're very analytical in terms of our site selection. I mean, we want to be in every city in America because we believe that the experiences that guests are having are worth delivering and they're worth having for our guests. And so the feedback that we've been getting, especially even recently post-pandemic, has been phenomenal. We joke about it. I walk through an airport in any city and I'm thinking, wow, all these people want to play at the escaping. They just don't know it yet. We're going to larger metropolitan areas. You can kind of see the locations that we're in. Our strategy is a little bit different than maybe the industry in that, and we did the same thing at the very beginning. No one would rent to us. Like literally we asked 15 landlords, will you rent to us? And they said, what are you doing? You're knocking (laughs) people in a room. They're destinations. And we as enthusiasts will travel anywhere to go play. But what we found was there are a lot of guests or a lot of prospective guests out there that aren't going to visit every part of town just to play. And we need to catch them where they're comfortable and then where they're used to going. While we don't need these high profile locations to be successful, like to make it, we think that it's really important 
to fulfill our mission, which is that every single guest, we want to introduce as many people as we can to the concept. Escape Tales is a tabletop escape room series with a focus on strong story and puzzles. Their games have weight and atmosphere, and the decisions you make along the way change the outcome. They are each crafted by the folks behind Lock Me and the Escape Room World Championship. They really know escape rooms and love them, and it shows in their product. Escape Tales feels about as close to a real-life escape room as you can get on the tabletop. Escape Tales The Awakening is a heavy, dark story that also is strangely funny. It casts you in the role of the main character whose wife had passed away, and you are kind of dealing with the aftermath of that in your life. It's a heavy place to start, and it takes you on a wild journey filled with all sorts of introspection and also just the awakening kind of grapples with grief and life in a way that I personally was able to relate to quite a bit, both kind of the ups and downs, the darkness and the humor of it, of it all. The Awakening is the first part of the Escape Tales series, and if you're interested in checking these games out, I highly recommend that you begin with this one so you can get a feel for the mechanics of how the game works. It feels complicated because there's a lot of pieces, but you pick it up really quickly. This was originally published in 2018, and it has been translated into 13 different languages. You can expect to get anywhere from three to six hours of playtime out of this, and the recommended player's age is 16 plus. You can buy any installment of the Escape Tales series at store.boardanddice.com. Board and Dice is now shipping from both the United States and the European Union, so your games will not get held up in customs. Use discount code ROOMESCAPEARTIST at checkout to receive a generous 25% off your purchase. Details in the show notes. This has sort of come up in a few different ways, but the sizes of your locations vary a lot. What are the consequences of this and how do you go about moving a game that was designed in Nashville, presumably for a larger space, into a smaller space in the American Dream Mall or in Midtown Manhattan. It's like a puzzle in itself, a little mini game in how to fit our games into a specific spot. There's some chains out there who have very standard footprints for their games. They need a very specific box and they can just put it in. All of our games are multi-room sets. We think that the architecture of the rooms really impacts the experience. And so we have several versions of each of our games. Sometimes they can't all fit. Our in-house designer architect spends hours and hours trying to make sure that the games, you know, which games fit, which ones go to each location. And it's not just the size, it's the shape. Sometimes we get odd shapes and we thought, oh, this would be great. We'll just design these games and we can put them in. If you're going to a particular location, you usually have a choice of one or two spots. 
and one might be in odd shape and you just never know. It might not be the ideal size. And that's one thing we've had to just figure out how to work with. Do you have a minimum number? Like you're like, we can only choose locations that can support five games or more. We probably wouldn't put the same number of games in Savannah, Georgia that we would in LA. So it is market specific on what we think the demand could be. We do have smaller size stores in smaller markets in general. We've also been blessed to be able to expand stores a number of times. So the adjacent space next to us will come available and we'll snap it up and we can grow it. That happened in Orlando where we're up to, I think, 10,000 square feet now. It does depend a little bit on what we believe the market might be able to bear in a market. Our smallest store is three games and that's at Opry Mills in Nashville. We're in the process of getting some more space there. We're going to put our newest game there next year so. Our smallest will be four. In general, I've had a sense from other escape room owners that the escape game is a pretty good neighbor, which, again, isn't always a given with chains and franchises in the escape room world. How do you as a business approach getting along with other escape room companies in the cities that you operate? We've had to learn that over time. We are a pretty competitive group as a whole. There's over a thousand team members now at the escape game in total. I would say most of them are pretty high on the scale of being competitive, but not in a mean way. And um, I think general courtesy and kindness and our values would demand that we would never do something negative or say something negative about another escape game company or anyone for that matter. Early on, back in 2014, early 2014, we had an over-aggressive team member who might have written a review for a third party, another escape game company, and we made it very clear that that's off limits. We would never, even if you're going to write an amazing review, let's just not review. That's been reciprocated by most of the community. We occasionally get someone who's probably in a bind and getting desperate and needs to lash out and do something. But I think just generally being a good neighbor and and that being part of your business practice is the main thing. You know, I, I think being a competitor, but being a friendly competitor and knowing that at the escape game, we are representing the community and we're representing the space. So we're big enough now and we're going to be bigger. And so with that comes some responsibility of hey, this is in our best interest and everyone's best interest that guests have great experiences. Enthusiasts are eventually going to play the escape games. What I wish everyone was saying, hey, I can't wait for the escape games next game to come out. I got to play that. You got to play that. Hey, if you're going to Orlando, play the escape game there. It's more often, hey, you can play them anywhere. And (laughs) it's true. And we're fine with that. Like that is the case. As an enthusiast, And there's companies that I will play, like anytime they come up with a new game, I'm going to go play it. And so realizing, first of all, in summary, let's be good neighbors and let's be true to our values. And then secondly, we do have a vested interest in this industry succeeding. Yeah, I totally agree. I always talk to owners and it's like, if you've done your job right, you have created an enthusiast and (laughs) enthusiasts are going to go play all the rooms. I think it's always in everybody's best interest to just support each other. So there's a question that many in our community want to understand about the escape game. And that is, why did you return to public bookings? 
part of our decision from the beginning was to make games accessible to as many people as possible, many guests as possible and different types of guests, and be able to fund the development of games at scale where the economic model would work. From the very beginning, we've offered a shared experience model, but provided the ability to have private experiences. And we look at the numbers very regularly, and over 90% of our games are actually private experiences. But especially on Saturdays are the very peak times. It makes a material difference for us from an economic standpoint, and guests still have a great time in the rooms. One question is, is it harder to pull off a shared experience? Absolutely. And our team is like very acutely aware when a shared experience happens and are trained in how to facilitate that experience. It's a business decision that we're constantly evaluating. And for your listeners, we love for enthusiasts to reach out to us and we love for people to let us know that it's important to them to have a private experience at a more economical price. And we try to facilitate those much easier at certain times of the week. And that's what I always tell the diehard escape room community is if you want a private game at a company that it costs more than you might be able to pay or they don't normally offer that, what I always recommend is reaching out to the company and saying, hey, if I came on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday evening or something like that, and I was going to bring three people, is there a way that you could make it a private game for us instead of writing in and being like, well, I'm planning on coming on Saturday. Can you make that a private game? Because the economics of that are fundamentally different because turning down that money on a Saturday is turning down money that you're otherwise going to make. Whereas at different points in the week, it's more upside for everybody. Yeah. And I think what you'll see from the escape game coming up is some new models and new ideas and how to address this. One thing that we're very aware of is that enthusiasts, including ourselves, in general, like to play with just our group. And it's usually a better experience, both for the enthusiast and the non-enthusiast that might be paired with them. Oh, <laughs> I get bulldozed yeah. by the group. <laughs> yes. And, you know, we've all got stories like that. And I think what the escape game is looking at right now is how do we facilitate the enthusiast community getting something that's very important to them? Obviously, it's available, but at what price is it available? And uh, being mindful that we don't want to overcharge most loyal guests that we have. That's not in our best interest. We want guests to be interested in playing escape games for the rest of their lives. Hopefully their grandkids they'll be playing with someday. And so we're constantly looking at different models and thinking about how do we best communicate and message through our pricing model. Pretty fascinating, all the different pricing models that have popped up and the ways that the escape game and its colleagues are messaging that to guests. I'm interested to see what you guys are able to come up with to answer this question that everybody is trying to answer. So, Mark, this season, we are asking all of our guests to spread the love a little bit. And we would like you to share some of your favorite escape rooms from the United States, from your country that you have not created. That is a loaded question. It's a two hour answer, but... I really enjoyed recently playing Nemesis Club. Phoenix, Arizona. Love Nemesis Club. 
Yeah, the things that they did with the two games out there, and you could tell that the owners are really passionate about delivering a next-level experience, and that's exciting. I definitely agree, and they have a lot more in the works that seems really exciting to me. Yes, and as creators and designers, we think, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could? Mm -hmm. And there's a few of those things that you actually see someone else do. You know, like they did that. And that's really exciting. I think it pushes us all to say, okay, what's out there that hasn't been done yet that guests would love to experience? So Mark, what comes next for you and the escape game? I think we're really excited about our growth for next year, obviously opening a bunch of new stores. Our game pipeline is exciting as well. We have a space-themed game that we're working on. No one really knows that yet. A lot of people within our company don't know that yet, but the team has been working on it and we're tackling the space theme again. We had Mission Mars, which we created back in 2016, but us and the team have thought we weren't really ready to do the space theme justice at that point in time, even though it felt like it, it came out good for where we were at that time. And so we've got an exciting space game coming out filled with technology. We don't have it named yet. We also have a, another concept that we're working on, and we haven't shared that with anyone outside of the escape game yet. And I may be able to share more about that in the next couple of months, but I would call it a, maybe a sister to the escape room concept we've been working on. So we're excited to launch that in the uh, beginning of next year. Interesting. It is taking all of my willpower to not dig more into this because I know <laughs> you are not supposed to be talking about it. So try to sit on it. Mark, where can people find you or the Escape Game on social media? Escapegame.com is our website and you can find all of our social handles there and all of the locations that we're at as well. We would love to host your listeners. If you have a special request, we would absolutely love to hear what that request is. If it's a private game or if it's anything, our team loves to customize the experiences for guests, especially enthusiasts. You heard it from Mark. Reach out to your local escape game or the one you'll be traveling near and uh, book a private game for yourselves. Get your friends out. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. It's been really interesting to hear how a organization that has so many different arms is operating in this space because so much of what we talk about are one-offs and it's fascinating to hear the kinds of problems that you and your team are having to grapple with. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for what you do and for putting this on. It's a great benefit to our community, what you guys do in terms of the conferences and the podcast. And we're so appreciative. Thanks, Mark. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira, edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media, and brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Hi, folks. It's that time again. You know the one where we ask you to back us on our Patreon. Now, I know that everyone has Patreon request fatigue. I have it too. And I know that you're used to hearing that it takes a lot of work to make this content and that the money goes a long way. But it really is true. All of the things that we're doing take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money. 
And the support that we get from our Patreon community is invaluable. If you have the money available and love what we're doing, please do consider backing us on Patreon. It means more than I think you realize. Thanks. If you have been enjoying the content on Reality Escape Pod, David and I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. It really goes a long way towards helping us market the podcast and growing this podcast. We'd like to take a moment to thank our highest tier sponsors, Derek Tam, Breakout Games, Jonathan Driscoll, Pat Tupin, Rex Miller, Paula Swan, Scott Olson, and Byron Delmonico. I was on vacation with my family, wife Melinda, daughter Carly, son Dawson, and myself. And we were in China visiting Beijing. I had to play a couple escape games and heard about this place called The Final Stage. Only problem was the game was only in Chinese. So we hired an interpreter who also got us transportation. And the game that we were playing was about an hour outside of Beijing. And it started at, I think, 1220 in the morning. And to top things off, the name of the game was Kill Hitler. And, uh, <laughs> So if you can imagine, my kids are probably 16 and 14 at the time. My wife is looking at me like, are you sure we're going to go play this game? So we get out to the space and it looks really cool, cool environment. And then they say, hey, we're going to give you your uniforms. Well, the uniforms they were going to have us put on were full on Nazi uh, uniforms. Thankfully, as a unit, we all said, no, we're not doing that. We're not putting that on. There's no way we're putting that on. And so after discussing it through the interpreter, they didn't want to. They let us play without putting the Nazi uniforms on. They gave us uh, some uniforms from another game. And this game was pretty amazing. It had five or six actors in it, genuinely scared when these Nazis with guns actually came charging at us in one part of the game. And we get to the final part of this game. This is kind of like the movie Valkyrie, where you're going to see Hitler. You're going to be in the room and you got to slide the bomb underneath this chair to kill Hitler. And so everything's building up to this moment. And this is probably by this time, almost two in the morning. It was like an hour and a half game. And my wife and daughter, when they see Chinese Hitler, they just lose it and start with the giggles. And these actors are doing such a great job of keeping it together. And they're just pouring their heart out. Oh, my God. Anyways, we somehow got through that with the bomb under. I don't think we got Hitler, but I think he got away. But anyways, that's my uh, favorite escape game experience I ever had. Wow. 